pray together. Lord, thank you this morning. You're good and you are faithful. And we pray now, Lord, as we engage with the scriptures that you would come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill my words. Come and fill our hearts and our minds. Come, Lord, and open the text. And above all, Lord, lead us to Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Years ago, when I was in seminary in Pittsburgh or near Pittsburgh, we used to go to a YMCA in a a couple of towns over from where we lived, and particularly in the wintertime, we liked this Y because it had an indoor track with all kinds of windows, which was fantastic in like January in Pittsburgh, when all that was going on outside was snow and ice and sleet and darkness. And so we would go and we would walk and you'd soak in whatever rays you could in the interminable Pittsburgh winter. Well, a lot of times when our family would go there, we, you know, we would do different things. Catherine would generally always go to the track. We would put our daughter, who was just a little girl at the time, into swimming lessons at the indoor pool. I would go in and play basketball or racquetball or go into the weight room. On this particular day, there was a young man there who was wearing a T-shirt that said, Blank off. And it was that big word that I'm not going to say this morning in church. Blank off. You guys with me? Okay. It was a shocking kind of shirt. And Catherine was really shocked, not only by the shirt, but because we had a child who was learning how to read. And she was really concerned. She might have to explain what this shirt actually meant. And so she came looking for me. She hadn't seen me for a while. She came around the corner, and she was really surprised, even more surprised, because she found me sitting on a bench with the guy in the blank off shirt, and I was befriending him and sharing with him how great Jesus is. Now, I'm no hero in this story. I was doing that because the Holy Spirit had so powerfully convicted me to go and tell him about Jesus that I couldn't do anything but obey. Now, as we reflected on that later on, we realized this became a pivotal moment in our lives and in our ministries. And the reason is because God was showing us Well, he was showing us not to allow natural barriers to keep us from sharing with people the incredible love that God has for them through Jesus Christ. In fact, if I were to sum up today's message and Acts 10, it would be in these words. God calls his people, God calls you, and God calls me to cross barriers in order to share Jesus Christ with people who desperately need him. And if I boiled that down to a t-shirt, a better t-shirt than that, guys, it would be cross barriers for Jesus. In fact, why don't you say that? Cross barriers for Jesus. That's Acts chapter 10. That's what we see going on in this lesson. And we'll look at it together in just a moment. I want to give you a little bit of background first and then some context because you might notice we started in the middle of the chapter. There's 24 verses that have gone on before we ever get to where we engage the text today. First, the background. The theologian James Montgomery Boyce says that this might be the most important chapter in the book of Acts, and it could be one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. 
Because what's happening is, is that up until this point, the gospel was known only to the Jews. And it was thought of exclusively in terms of the Jewish people. And the early church really didn't have any idea about going out beyond their own nation. When they heard the words that the Holy Spirit said that God gave them, as Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth to them just meant Jewish people who were living in other places like Damascus, which we saw last week as we looked at the conversion of Saul to being Paul. And so this chapter is so important because in it, God is flinging open the doors to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. And that's really good news for you and me because I suspect in this room, although I know a few of us are of a Jewish background, most of us are what the scripture calls Gentiles, of the nations, of the people not descended bodily from the patriarch Abraham. So that's a little background. Now a little context. It's the story of Peter and Cornelius. Peter, we all know, right? He's the dunderhead who God raises up over and over and over again to be the head of the church. He's the apostle. But Cornelius, you may not be quite as familiar with. Cornelius was a Roman centurion, which means that he was a military official and he was tasked with keeping order in Judea. And Judea was a particularly rambunctious part of the Roman Empire. These Jewish people kept acting up and revolting. And so here's Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Now he's a different kind of guy. Most of the Romans of the first century believed in many gods, but not Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, verse 2, tells us that Cornelius is a God-fearer. In other words, he has, he has believed in the one true God, the God of the Hebrew people. He's not been circumcised. He's not entered fully into what it means to be a converted Jew. But he is a God-fearer. And we're told that out of this God-fearing, out of this worship of the living God, he gives to the needy and he prays regularly. Now, what you need to know is that the Jewish people, even though there were Gentiles who became God-fearers, who believed in the true God, they didn't generally accept those God-fearers to be like themselves. There was a lot of animosity. There was a lot of mistrust. And the reason is that, well, the Jews had been taught for a long time that God didn't show mercy to the Gentiles. In fact, they called the Gentiles dogs. Like, dogs will eat anything. Dogs will lick anything. And that's the way they saw the Gentiles. It was said, you shouldn't even help a Gentile woman in childbirth, because after all, all you'll be doing is helping another Gentile come into the world. That's how deep the animosity was. That's how deep the distrust and the anger was. And a strictly observant Jew wouldn't even have physical contact with a Gentile, much less have a Jew into their home or have a, a non-Jew into their home and they would never, ever go into the home of a Gentile. They would never eat with them because, of course, the fear that they would be contaminated by unclean foods and by food sacrificed to idols. 
The division was real, the animosity was deep, and the barriers were incredibly huge. So what happens? Again, just context. Cornelius is praying and has a vision. You can go back and read it later. In the vision, an angel appears to him, and the angel tells him, hey, send some of your guys to a place called Joppa and get a guy named Peter who's at the house of Simon the Tanner. He's got something to tell you. And so Cornelius, being a man of obedience and a man of faith in God, sent his guys to find Peter. At the same time, Peter is in prayer, and God gives him a vision three times because Peter, his mind was blown by what God was telling him. God lets down this sheet in the vision from heaven, and there's all these unclean animals. And the Spirit of God says to him, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no way. I don't touch that stuff. But God's starting to break down the barriers in Peter's experience as to who could have the grace of God. So finally, Peter relents. He gets what God's showing him. Don't call anything unclean or common that the Lord has made clean. And Peter decides, okay, I'm going with these guys to the home of Cornelius. That's the background. That's the context. Let's pick up at verse 33. Peter, uh, sorry, we'll pick up at verse 28. All the people are gathered, right? They're in Cornelius' house. It's all of his friends. It's all of his family. It's his associates. And Peter says to the people gathered, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And he basically says, so what is it that you want? What can I do for you? Why am I here? What is it that you're looking for? Cornelius responds at the end of 33. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase. He says, well, thanks for coming. It's not in the text, but that's what it amounts to. We're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Verse 34. So Peter opens his mouth and says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then Peter shares the gospel. We'll come back to that in a few moments. And what happens? Look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we see God calling his people to cross barriers in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Crossing barriers for Jesus. Now let's think for a minute about barriers. Because sometimes the barriers that God calls us to overcome and to cross can be really big. The barriers that Peter had here were centuries of generational, generational hatred. The barriers were religious. The barriers were cultural. The barriers were racial. God calls us to cross the same kind of barriers, big ones, deep ones, that may go far back into your family of origin. And yet if you name the name of Jesus 
And if you have been saved by the kindness and mercy of God, he calls us, he calls you and me to cross barriers, whatever they may be, to cross barriers with the good news of Jesus for those who desperately need him. That means, like, you may be called to buddy up to a guy with a blank off t-shirt on. Even though it feels offensive and it feels weird, none of us can fall into the trap of spiritually profiling who is and who isn't worthy of God's grace. We've got to be careful because as Peter says, I now know how true it is. God doesn't show partiality. He accepts anyone who does what is right, who fears him, who seeks him out. Now, it doesn't mean we're saved in that way. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But, but God is breaking down the barriers because he's building a family. He's growing a kingdom. And he desires that there will be people from every tribe and race and kingdom and nation praising God. And if you don't believe me, go read Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where you see a throne scene. And around the throne where holy God and our Lord Jesus Christ are being worshipped, there are people of every stripe. There is so much variety around God's throne. And yet there's this incredible unity because everybody's there because of one thing, and that one thing is the person, Jesus Christ, and what he has done on the cross and through his resurrection. God calls us to share the message of saving grace with everyone. You mean men and women? Yep. Black and white? Yes. Rich and poor? Yes. Young and old? Yes. Millennials and boomers? Tatted up and no tats at all? Educated and uneducated? Democrats and Republicans? What? God calls you and me to cross barriers to share the good news of Jesus with those who need him. And some of those barriers are really big, and they're going to take a lot of prayer on your part because they've been nurtured in you, perhaps for generations. Some of those barriers, though, are a little bit smaller. They're still big, but they might be barriers of the heart, And I suspect this is the place where a lot of us kind of get snagged along the way because we get busy with life. We we get beat down along the way. I mean, this world is hard to be a Christian in. Let me read something that Patricia Miller wrote. She was a hospital staff worker. And this is what she writes, and I quote her. While at work in the emergency room, I learned to stop crying at the pain around me. Each day it seemed I was becoming insensitive to people and their real needs. Five years of emergency room exposure had taken a toll on me. And then, then God intervened. I was taking information for registering a young woman who had overdosed on drugs and had attempted suicide. Her mother sat before me as I typed the information into the computer The mother was unkempt and bleary-eyed. She had been awakened in the middle of the night by the police to come to the hospital. She could only speak to me in a whisper. Hurry up, I said to myself as she slowly gave me the information. 
My impatience was raw as I finished the report and jumped to the machine to copy the medical cards. And that's when God stopped me at the copy machine. He spoke to my heart so clearly. You didn't even look at her. And then he said it again more gently. You didn't even look at her. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I sat down in front of the distraught woman and covered her hands with mine. I looked into her eyes with all the love that God could flood through me and said, I care. Don't give up. And that's when she started to weep. And she wept and she wept. She poured her heart out to me about the years of dealing with a rebellious daughter as a single mom. Finally, she looked up and thanked me. Me, the cold-hearted one with no feelings. My attitude changed that night. My Jesus came right into the workplace in spite of the rules that tried to keep him out. He came in to set me free, to care again. He gave himself to that woman through me. My God, who so loved the world, broke that self-imposed barrier around my heart. Now he could reach out not only to me and my pain, but to a lost and hurting woman. Sometimes there's self-imposed barriers that come because we just get beaten down and worn out by the world. And sometimes, of course, the barriers come because well, it's inconvenience, isn't it? I mean, my experience is that the opportunities of God often come at times that are inopportune for my schedule. So just so I don't come off as any kind of hero in this story, uh, we were walking this past week, my wife and I, and <clears throat> we have this, well, we have several characters in our neighborhood, uh, but we have one particular person who is a help-rejecting complainer. Yes, you know the type. A help-rejecting complainer. You might be the type, I don't know. And I'll be honest with you, my first thought was, is there any way we can avoid her? Do you know what that feeling? Like, oh, not this morning. I've been having a great walk. And I'm ready for the day. And, and after all, I have to go work at the church. <laughs> Lead the people of God. Oh, mercy. And I, I literally slowed down. And I kind of whispered, let's slow down. Maybe we'll miss her. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I was just like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Golly, is that what my heart really looks like? And so I prayed quietly. I said, Lord, would you give me your love for her this morning? Would you just please? I don't have much, but would you give me what you have for her? And we picked up our pace, and sure enough, we met. <clears throat> we had a conversation, and y'all, I was more bold than I have ever been with her. And we've gotten to know her through the pandemic. That's one of the things that's great, right? You get to know your neighbors from being out walking around and stuff. And 
And I had such a clarity of what to share with her, and I was so bold about it. I didn't take her all the way to leading her to Christ because she's not ready for that, but I was sowing seeds. And I was encouraging her about a situation in her life. And I said, you know, Jesus does want to hear your prayers. And, and here's a way you might talk to him. And I just kept it super simple. And do you know what she said? This hard-hearted, overly busy, this is inconvenient kind of guy. At the end, she said, gosh, I love you guys. That's not about me being a hero. That's about Jesus' love coming through a moron who simply says yes as best as he know how over and over and over again, responding to the Spirit. But sometimes those barriers of inconvenience can be as tall as the barriers that Peter was dealing with. And then, of course, there are those hard, deep barriers. Like they're not the external barriers. They're not the inconvenience barriers. There's the barriers of the heart that look like unforgiveness. And this often happens in our lives and in our families the people who have hurt us over the years, the people who have let us down over the years, the business partner who left you high and dry, the family member who deeply hurt you, who is always critical of you. And yet God may call you along the way to be the one who crosses the barrier of your own unforgiveness to bring them good news of Jesus. And you know how I know that? Because he did that with me with my dad. Before he died, and I, I was, had the gift of leading him to Jesus, but it came after months of God working on my heart to forgive him for the years of disappointment and heartache and sin that he had committed against me and against my mother. And yet as I submitted to the Lord, And as I yielded to God's kindness, and it's all a kindness. Grace is always a kindness. It prepared me to cross that barrier, and it prepared him to receive Jesus so that he could die with the Lord, and he's waiting for me now in that heavenly place. What kind of barriers do you have? And what kind of barriers might God be calling you to cross? in order to share the good news with somebody who desperately needs it? Are they racial barriers, generational barriers, convenience barriers, heart barriers, woundedness, or unforgiveness? To whom is he calling you to go? Some of you have somebody in your mind, and they've been there this entire day because the Spirit is showing you. And if you'll follow him, he'll show you how to cross the barriers to reach that person with as much of Jesus as they're ready for. Remember, sharing good news is a kind of continuum, right? Sometimes we're sowing seeds that somebody else is later going to help bring about unto fruition. And sometimes we're the one who actually leads them to Christ. The world is desperately in need of Christians who will stop sitting in the church only and will be willing to go into the world into the workplace, into the family, into the school, wherever you have a sphere of influence, that's a place potentially where God may call you to cross a barrier and to share good news with Jesus. And it's not just for adults. It's for students as well. There is no junior Holy Spirit. That's for all of us. And he'll equip us along the way. Don't call anything unclean 
that God is made clean. Who is it? Where is it? Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you, first of all, for the gospel. You know what? We're not going to pray. Just pause. Because somebody needs to hear this. The gospel is such a simple thing in that you don't have to know everything. You just have to share what you know about who Jesus is. You just have to show, share what you know about who Jesus is. I mean, look at what Peter did. Pull that scripture back up there again. Yep, somebody needs this today. We just start at verse 36. I mean, you can just pick out things that, look at what Peter shared. As for the word that God sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Some people need to know that God wants peace with them. And maybe that's the story you have to share with another. You may not know it all, but you might know what it is to have peace with God. Share that. And and look at how he goes on. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He's Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. He does good. Maybe somebody needs to know that God actually does good in the lives of others, that God actually can bring healing in the lives, that God actually can deliver people from, well, from systemic and spiritual darkness. And we're witnesses, verse 39, of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. In other words, this Messiah, well, there, there are people who actually saw him. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. He's the crucified one. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. He's the resurrected one. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He didn't just rise spiritually. He was resurrected bodily. He ate and drank and people saw him. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. You know, you've got some people in your life who are on the doorstep of death. Now is not the time to be a wimp. It's not. That's the time to just love them enough to tell them the truth. You guys know who Penn Jillette is? Penn and Teller, musician, uh, magician, illusionist. He's a noted atheist. And he said, after one of his shows, a, a guy introduced him and just thanked him for the performance that he, he had had and was so complimentary of him and then gave Penn Jillette a Bible that said in there, I would love to share with you who God is if you're interested. And Gillette's an avowed atheist, but he was so touched that this guy kindly crossed a barrier. He said, how much do you have to hate a guy if you believe you have the answer to not tell him the answer? If you believe that you know who the judge of the living and the dead is, like you got to tell somebody, right? And even though he didn't come to Christ, he was so grateful that this person cared about him enough that he would share the one that he thought and that we know is the Savior of the world. Just tell him what you know. You don't have to have it all figured out. You, you know this much, give him this much. 
If you know this much, give them this much. (laughs) And on that, I'm going to wrap up. Let's pray. Jesus, (laughs) thank you that you come to us in the way that we can understand. And you're kind and you're good and you're for us. And you give us power to do that which you've asked us to do. Lord, would you make us people who let go of the barriers, who let go of the fear, or in spite of the fear, as you lead us, take the risk to cross those barriers, to share good news with people who desperately need you, that we would share Jesus. And Lord, that you would be glorified and that many would know how beautiful you are. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.